Time to abandon ship. Can I persuade you to join us for a drink? It's a tradition. Here, here. Jar Jar, homie, my main man. Quickly, before the Separatists attack, get into the escape pod. Hey, this is escape. Then where the pod? Get the Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh, and uh, today is going to be the opinion of myself uh, about uh, Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. Initially, I had a roundtable that we did fresh after our first viewing, uh, but I decided to can it because uh, it was and it ended up being quite negative, and I don't want this to be a negative thing, and uh, I wanted to see it a second time. Now that I have two viewings under my belt, uh, I'm giving you my own personal opinion about the film. Um, and I've tried to keep it a little, a little lighter, uh, especially since the round table. So um, keep an open mind. Thank you. Here we go. Another happy landing. If you've been listening to the show before uh you might be familiar with my opinion about the sequels and um you know i don't think too highly of them uh it's you know that's that's just a personal opinion of mine uh i don't hate them with a passion or anything uh you know i'm like uh some that hate uh some of the films throughout the series uh no titles mentioned but uh yeah no you know what i mean I've always been a Star Wars fan and, you know, George Lucas has been an inspiration of mine and I would not be working the career that I have in the film industry right now uh, if it weren't for for him, probably. He's been a massive inspiration on on my life and and many others who decide to follow that path as well in the filmmaking career. Um, And, um, you know, uh, as an inspiration to all those people and um, to fans in general, I think... um, you know, when Disney took the torch and and wanted to make the sequel trilogy happen after he sold the company, um, the creative direction changed. And, uh, you know, we got uh, The Force Awakens and so on and so forth. It was at that point when they did the whole direction shift that uh, I ended up feeling a little uneasy about things. And and when, when I walked out of The Force Awakens, uh, I did feel very almost questioning you know, what was going to come. And, uh, I felt a little uneasy about, about it. So, um, yeah, my, so far, I mean, now that I've seen the finale to this trilogy, uh, I can't say that I'm the biggest fan of it and I'll get into that later on. I don't want you to think that this is a a hate speech about the film or anything. Uh, there was some things that I liked and there was some things that I didn't like. I'm I'm a bit of a mixed bag on this one. Uh, honestly, first off, I just want to say it's probably the best out of the sequels that I've seen so far. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to you hearing uh, what I have to say about it. Um, so please stick around. And, uh, you know, at some points throughout this thing, I'm sure you're going to be yelling at me, uh, screaming at me, uh, you know, wanting to uh, give feedback or uh, shoot me an answer that uh, I might have a question about. And if you do, then uh, please just, you know, send an email, the escape pod at outlook.com or send us a tweet at SW escape podcast. Um, those will be listed in the description, uh, on the podcast itself on this episode. But before we kind of 
get off into the um, discussion about episode nine, I want this little snippet of the Charlie Rose interview by George Lucas. He's talking about Star Wars and uh, he talks about his uh, initial um, opinion about about um, the way that Force Awakens was headed and um, what, you know, Star Wars is actually about. Uh, you know, the, this is the maker, George Lucas, talking about what Star Wars is, is to him um, and what it is intended to be. So uh, let's take a listen to this and keep it in the back of your mind as, as I go forward with, with my discussion. The upcoming Star Wars, The Force Awakens. How do you feel about it? Well, it's, um, you know, I made the decision to sell the company with Star Wars. I made that decision because I looked at the future. I looked at the fact that I was going to have a baby. I looked at the fact that I was married. And I looked at the fact that I wanted to build a museum. And I looked at the fact that I wanted to make experimental films. So my life was going on a different track. I noticed the last few movies that I'd made were costing the company a lot of money. And I didn't think that was fair to the people that worked there or the company. And so um, I made a decision to move ahead on the next Star Wars series. And we were starting to do that. So you were starting to make the next Star Wars. Yeah. You as director, filmmaker. So, and we were working with a writer. It wasn't quite working out, but I was also, uh, you know, I was also stepping away a little bit to, and turning things over to uh, Kathy Kennedy. And so um, what happened was Disney said, gee, or Bob Iger said, gee, if you really want to sell your company, if you're thinking about selling that, because we were talking about retirement and what are you going to do after all this kind of stuff. And he said, well, if you really want to sell it, you know, we're very interested. So that started that ball rolling. And I knew from, you know, and I had the story treatments or, you know, outlines. And um, and we were about to, we were working on scripts. And um, so I sold it. But I knew when I sold it, I said, I've tried to... Uh, make movies where I step away to sort of Empire and uh, Return of the Jedi. Right, right. And after about a couple of weeks, I knew I couldn't do that. I had to stand over the shoulder of the director, help him, you know, whisper in his ear constantly, no, do this, do that, do that, you know, and, and be there to help guide it. And it was much harder than if I had just directed it myself. J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams. He's a good director and he's a good friend and all this sort of thing. But he's also a top director, company, his own company, all this other stuff. And Disney, uh, who was a little nervous, you know, there's one of the issues was the first three movies had all kinds of issues. They looked at the stories and they said, we want to make something for the fans. So I said, all I wanted to do was tell a story of what happened you know, it started here and it went there. And it's all about generations and it's about, you know, the issues of fathers and sons and grandfathers. And it's a family soap opera. I mean, ultimately, I mean, space, we call it space opera, but it, people don't realize it's actually a soap opera. Yeah. And it's all about family problems and that kind of, it's not about spaceships. So they decided they didn't want to use those stories. They decided they were going to go do their own thing. And so I decided 
fine. But basically, I'm not going to try to... They weren't that keen to have me involved anyway. But at the same time, I said, I'm not going to... If I get in there, I'm just going to cause trouble because they're not going to do what I want them to do. So, And I don't have the control to do that anymore. And all I would do is muck everything up. So I said, okay, I will go my way and I'll let them go their way. So yeah, just just keep that in the back of your head. Um, I, I feel pretty negative towards the entire sequel trilogy in general, but you know, I'm a Star Wars fan and I, I want to live by uh, what I've said before about being a fan of things. Like, you know, we have our ups and downs with what we're given and uh, we like and dislike things here and there. Uh, you know, it's never going to be a perfect uphill ride all the time, every day. Uh, yeah, there's the odd book that I'm not a fan of. Yeah, there's the odd comic that I'm kind of bored reading. Um, and uh, there will be the odd movie that I, I just don't connect with. And um, it's more sad for me to know that there was a plan to make Georgia sequel films and then just wasn't made. And yes, you could argue the fact that, uh, you know, he has stated, you know, fans might not have liked it. Uh, but that's because he knows that he tells his story, you know, he's a real filmmaker. This guy will tell his story, whether fans like it or not, uh, you know, and, and uh, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Clone Wars, Clone Wars was, was paid for, he was, it wasn't making a lot of profit. And, uh, you know, he, he had a story he wanted to tell. It was probably one of the, was, I think it was one of the main reasons why Disney canceled it. Um, aside from their, uh, their early on prequelitis that they had, uh, it was it was costing the company a lot of money to make, and it wasn't generating enough revenue for them to keep the project alive. And uh, you know the prequels were a very risky thing to do. Uh, when George made em- Empire Strikes Back as well, uh, he he forked out all his own money to make that film, and uh, I would say he got a pretty good return. <laughs> but you know there was it was all his own. His, his story, this is his passion project that he wanted to do. And, you know, it, it's almost like taking uh, the Lord of the Rings and, you know, splitting Return of the King in half and then having some other author finish that story. It, it just it just doesn't resonate with the people who know, uh, who really connect with the words that, that J.R.R. Tolkien has been um, getting across to the readers for, for the last so many years as those books were released. Uh, they would recognize a change in narrative. And uh, as a Star Wars fan, I mean, you can justify these films all you want, but the narrative has changed. And George Lucas being the maker, I believe, I don't, I don't think that the prequels changed, uh, changed much of the narrative in the original trilogy at all. I feel like it added more depth to them. Um, introducing us to who Anakin Skywalker used to be, the prophecy of the Chosen One, adds a lot more to his um, his redemption and his sacrifice that he made, and uh, you know just in- increases the overall depth of this legacy. And the sequels, I feel, have just been very tacked on to the end. Tacked on being like stapled on, like, and the Last Jedi being uh, being the tape that's been holding these these films to the other six. But I don't want this to be a, 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 a review of negativity. Like I said, I didn't use the roundtable for that reason. So so um, I, I, I want to start off by just giving a list of things that I like about the film. And uh, then I'm going to get into the things that I don't like about the film. So working our way through the movie, uh, beginning to end. All right. Uh, I love the fact that there's this uh, Sith world we don't know about called Exegol uh, throughout canon. 
Um, you know, if you're aware of the whole canon shift that Disney, when they bought the company, uh, they they established the expanded universe's legends to make room for their own stories that would uh, be solidified as canon books, canon stories that would contribute to a cohesive narrative, uh, which is the world we live in today. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example, being, I would say, the crown of all uh, cohesive stories told over a span of many years. Uh, we've got multiple movies a year out of that series, and all of them link towards one narrative and uh, one universe, one shared story, one shared universe. And uh, you know, fans were uh, well paid off with the finale uh, of Endgame and uh, Infinity War uh, over the last two years. Uh, and I gotta say, man, like those those movies have just been amazing examples of what uh, a series that hasn't even been around that long for um, have had such an epic conclusion. Um, so I love the I love the fact that uh, this this Sith world Exegol exists um, throughout some of the canon Disney books. Uh, Palpatine has uh, sensed this dark presence beyond the unknown regions, and um, I hate the term headcanon, by the way, just so you know, headcanon, I don't think there's such a thing as headcanon. Um, you know, it's fair enough to say this is what makes the most sense in my head, uh, filling up the gaps that, uh, you know, there are the things that we don't have facts for. Uh, but yeah, headcanon, uh, I've always thought that that term was a little strange, so I'm not going to be using that. Uh, but what makes sense to me is uh, Palpatine sensing this dark presence out in the unknown regions that we've that we've read about. I, I like to think that it is Exegol. I like to think that uh, a lot of fans speculated it was Snoke. Uh, now we know that Snoke is Palpatine's creation. Um, I like to think that this dark presence was perhaps this uh, Sith world that we that we never knew about. Uh, we do have Moraband. Uh, aka Korriban, they both exist as the same name within canon. Korriban um, was the ancient name, and Moraband is uh, also in canon, the same planet, and um, the name that is it is referred to uh, by the time of the Clone Wars, and uh, and in in existing um, sequel trilogy era stories. So this is not. Moraband. Exegol is its own planet that exists beyond the unknown regions. And um, we don't really know much about this planet. Uh, this is new to the series, new for uh, The Rise of Skywalker, but I, I did like the idea of this planet. Um, and um, uh, that was one thing I, I, you know, that was the first thing on my, on my list that I probably liked. The opening scene of Kylo Ren ripping apart these natives. Uh, now, they didn't exactly confirm this, but I think the visual dictionary kind of kind of uh, discloses the fact that uh, the planet in the beginning is actually Mustafar. So I like the fact that we got to see Mustafar again. Uh, it would have been cooler to see the remnants of Vader's castle because I guess that's kind of where we're supposed to be at that point in the story. If I'm wrong, please, uh, again, um, shoot some feedback our way. Uh, tweet. Uh, yeah, by the way, if, if you do hear of anything... Uh, throughout the podcast that you you know you're probably screaming at before uh, again send us a tweet sw escape podcast or an email the escape pod at outlook.com um, you know if I say something that uh, you know you want to uh, uh, have any feedback on or or um, you know you might have an answer via the visual dictionary which I do not own yet um, and I might not own it at all <clears throat> I don't tend to buy the visual dictionaries but you know if you if you do have that and you have an answer for me um, that'd be great. Uh, so shoot it my way. But um, 
Yeah, other than that, uh, yeah, I, I, I like the fact that uh, we got to see Mustafar again, if that is Mustafar, and uh, the remnants around, uh, I guess it's Vader's castle or something. Um, it was cool that they linked that to the uh, VR Vader Immortal trilogy, um, the Lady Corvax storyline, and the eventual recovery of Mustafar as uh, a planet with life on it, uh, because we did get to see some some trees uh, in the forestry area that Kylo Ren was uh, taking out all these people on. So, yeah, uh, it was it was a cool scene. Uh, these Sith Wayfinder devices. Now, this is kind of interesting. These Wayfinder devices theoretically were made, I guess, by Palpatine, I'm assuming. Uh, there's two in existence, I believe. I think there was. Uh, there's one that uh, Kylo Ren recovers from Vader's castle, and there's the other one that's found at the Death Star wreckage. So, I like to think that Vader has one and the emperor has one and both of them are able to use this to get to exegol so um assumingly exegol is a planet that's uh, been known to palpatine for a while and that he's been storing these uh, imperial resources on exegol for uh, for a buildup of, of time uh preparing for the final order and uh the first order being something that comes in and cleanses you know the galaxy of, uh, I guess, what we know as the New Republic. The Aftermath trilogy set it up um, a little, a, a little uh, different. I, I don't want to say that this movie does a massive job at retconning things, but it does add questions to my head. <clears throat> um, the Battle of Jakku uh, was a very big plot point. Um, if you've read the Aftermath trilogy, you'll know that the Battle of Jakku was intended to uh, draw all the New Republic slash rebel forces into battle uh, against the last stand that the Empire the, the Empire was making. And um, there was an idea to blow up this planet, uh, Jakku, that is. Uh, and, uh, you know, amongst the, the protagonists of the story, they, they stopped this, this evil plot from happening. But the, the idea was that the planet would blow up, destroying both the empire and the new Republic forces and, uh, essentially eradicating the galaxy uh, and leaving a clean slate. Um, and, you know, assumingly have the first order come in and establish order, um, against uh, on, on the galaxy, I guess. I, something something like that. Um, uh, if you have anything to say about that, please let me know. And, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of linked up with that, I guess. Um, you know, Palpatine, he had this whole contingency plan uh, through the Battlefront 2 campaign. We had Palpatine Sentinels show up delivering messages. Uh, he had a bunch of different things going on across the galaxy. Um he even had a uh, attack on his own homeworld of Naboo, and uh, you know there was there was things along the way that uh, you know the contingency plan was basically a plan that devised by the emperor um, for the future of the empire in the event of his death. That's essentially what the contingency plan contingency plan was, and uh, you know it, Gallius Rax was the uh, the protege of the emperor who was basically given charge to execute this entire. This entire plan, and there's many videos and articles about this online, so you, you can you can catch up on that all um, as well. But the plot was to destroy Jakku, and allowing a small number of Imperial remnants uh, <clears throat> to basically survive. Uh, and 
you know, the establishment of the first order in the unknown regions uh, to rebuild the empire was was part of that whole initial thing. Uh, Operation Cinder was was a, a big deal in there. The Battle of Fondor, skirmish on uh, Avardos, and uh, the Battle of Theed on Naboo. Uh, the attack on uh, Abedno. Uh, Abed, Abednedo, <laughs> the destruction of uh, Necronus and the Battle of Jakku. So, uh, there, you know, there's a bunch of um, battles that happened throughout the whole contingency plan and everything. And, you know, I'm, 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 the reason why I'm talking about all of this is because there was a big setup, a big, um, a big journey to the Force Awakens movement that happened through uh, comics and everything. Read Shattered Empire, a uh, great little miniseries that kind of uh, takes place right after Return of the Jedi. Um, there's been plenty of content that has come out through novels and, and, you know, keep in mind, this is all Disney's canon stuff uh, that has essentially set up the First Order. And, you know, this movie that came out, it essentially felt like to me that the direction of everything that has been leading up in the last five years shifted last minute. And, you know, we all know Palpatine was not supposed to come back. This is this was Colin Trevorrow's movie and he had not written the film um, and, uh, uh, you know, what we got in the end was, was, uh, well, what we've just seen. So the, the, the plan was never to bring Palpatine back and it really affects kind of like what we've read about so far, what, what has been leading up so far. I feel like a lot of the investments in books over the last five years has, you know, is questionable. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that aside, um, I liked, I liked, uh, I liked that opening stuff of the film. Uh, I liked um, I liked the Wayfinder devices, uh, that there's two, one for Vader, one for Palpatine. Uh, I thought uh, the reveal of Palpatine was pretty cool. That device that he's attached to is is awesome. Now, my my initial reaction is that this is the Palpatine that we that we know of, uh, that we've seen before. This is not a clone of Palpatine. Um, I think any reference to cloning has to do with the creation and manufacturing of, of Snoke. And, uh, you know, from what we've seen in those test tubes, when, when Kylo Ren walks through the catacombs on Exegol, uh, it's very apparent that he's, you know, made Snoke, um, playing around with life and all that. And, you know, he references the, the little talk he gives Anakin about, uh, unnatural power being, uh, given through the dark side of the force. And it's, it's just, it's just a lot of hinting. It's a lot of, um, vagueness a lot of hinting at like okay you know fill in the gaps with with whatever you want for now until we you know come out with a book or a comic or something that fills in this this um this hole so uh yeah i i like the reveal of palpatine and uh the the moment that we see ray i i liked i liked ray's whole training with leia that was that was awesome i mean um i want to say that uh this is this is the movie that I expected to see a little more of that, and it's a shame that Carrie Fisher ne- never made it around to this movie. I feel like it would have been a lot different. Uh, Colin Trevorrow might have even completed the, his script if if Carrie had survived, uh, but uh, she was supposed to play a big part in this movie. Um, the the moment where we see her floating with the rocks that was that was really cool. Uh, I I like how how Leia is has become essentially her new master. Uh, Leia has embraced her her um her full knowledge of the force and um what we find out later to be her life as uh you know her life as a general and a senator and uh 
the well, I guess the first senator, if you've been following the new canon. Um, excuse me. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 cool to see her kind of return to her roots as a Skywalker and train the next generation of Jedi, filling in for Luke's shoes. Um, it's it's a, it's a it's a beautiful thing to see. So I I liked I liked the whole Ray reveal, uh, the training course that she goes through, and um, yeah. Uh, let's see what else. What else? What else? I like about the new movie. Um, I loved seeing um some of the well the return of some of these ships that they found in the past as we know from resistance reborn um the resistance has sent out a crew to essentially recover some of these old ships um and yeah it was it was cool it was cool to see the return of like a wings and y wings and and such so, so that was interesting uh we got a lot more 3po in this movie uh i gotta say you know it felt a lot more Star Wars with 3PO in it. Oh, it's what we've had for six movies in a row, and it's not something we've had for the last two. And, um, you know, I've got my problems with those movies, but this one seemed to really nail the fact that, uh, yeah, 3PO, you know, bring him back. Bring bring him back part of the main cast. You know, that's that's a, that's a cool thing to see. Uh, we also got a lot more of R2, at least. Uh, he's not exactly <clears throat> replacing BB-8 through the sequels, but... You know, we did see a lot more of him and uh, that was cool. He's not under a rug for, you know, the whole movie. So so that was nice. He's not under a blanket hiding out. Um, it was nice to have him back. And uh, I loved I got to say, Adam Driver nailed this movie. He was a fantastic actor. Um, you know, th- he brought so much depth to Ben Solo and to Kylo Ren and uh, when the shift happens uh, for his character in the movie, it was it was so good. I, I just, um, you know, I, I, I can't give any more praise for this movie other than like the whole um, uh, conclusion to Ben Solo's arc through this through this uh, this trilogy. I got to say is probably the highlight of this trilogy. Uh, if you disagree, uh, you know. No offense, but you're kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, this being the Skywalker saga, this is really supposed to be about the Skywalker saga. I mean, Skywalker lineage. And and he's the only kind of next generation Skywalker that that we see through the sequels. And this movie really changes that narrative a little bit towards the end. And and I'm I'm less of a fan of kind of the conclusion of this movie, but we'll get to that later. Um, ben Solo was awesome. Adam Driver rocks, and um, you know I, I got to say he's he's probably the best part of this movie. <clears throat> um, there was a, a fantastic scene with with Harrison Ford, Han Solo. Um, the whole him uh, after after he fights Ray, uh, which was a you know the the it was an improvement on a lightsaber duels that we've seen through the sequel so far. It was a little more on the epic scale, but. Um, yeah, there was a viciousness to it, and um, we've never seen a lightsaber duel end this way before, where one person just gets tired and just gets knocked down. Um, that was that was really cool to see uh, with, when Ray, you know, Ray is fighting Kylo Ren, and, and she clearly just gets so tired, and and easily Kylo Ren just knocks her down, and he he has the upper hand. He could have killed her. And he doesn't because, you know, Leia essentially 
you know, lies down and, and has a nap and, uh, <laughs> I don't know what she does, but, uh, I like to think that, you know, she, with a, most of her life force, which is a term I think might come up again soon, but most of her life force exits her body. So in essentially, essentially she's dying. And I want, I like to think that, um, that she, uh, I guess in spirit enters the heart of her son. Um, he senses her, his mother's passing and yet her body doesn't disappear yet. So, you know, her transcendence into the force, uh, happens much later in the film. But, um, I, you know, I, I liked, I liked how he pauses and just, he, he doesn't care. He doesn't care anymore about, about harming Ray. And I don't think he wants to, um, but uh, that was a really cool moment to see. And and then what concludes as Ray stabs him in the gut and he just, he still, he just doesn't care. He kind of shrugs it off and slumps down. And, um, you know, with the death of his mother, it really affects him like so hard. And it's very similar to what we had with Anakin and, and his mother, um, except with Anakin, he's a very possessive guy. Like he's, this is also what drove him to the dark side. Um, is the possessive love that he had for Padme. He wasn't he, he wasn't willing to pursue any other direction rather than to give up everything for the dark side just to save his wife. And and with with his mother's passing, uh it was it was similar. He gave into the dark side so quickly just to just to destroy the beings that hurt her and uh and as a result you know, took her life due to injury. Uh, ben Solo, on the other hand, he's he takes a lot uh, from his uncle, uh, I guess, you know, when he's, I guess he, he gets, he's so shocked at, at you know, the, the passing of his mother that he just gives up. You know, he just slumps over and he's like, this is it. You know, I don't care what happens anymore. And <clears throat> it hurts him very deeply, but uh, Ray heals him and 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 says this amazing line about how uh, she wanted to take his hand when he offered it, but she didn't want to take Kylo Ren's hand. He, she wanted to take Ben Solo's hand, and uh, I really liked that. That was that was a really cool callback to the Last Jedi, and uh, you know I think that was also a beautiful part of the movie. And I loved what followed with Harrison Ford. Um, the memory of him was was one of the most emotional parts of the movie. I, I would have loved if there was more emotion in this movie. Um, I feel like Return of the King and Endgame uh, with Tony Stark's death uh, had a much more impactful ending for me. And and as a Star Wars fan, it's kind of sad to say, uh, I, I actually, you know, I, I think I shed a tear when I saw Revenge of the Sith when I was five years old, or sorry, not five years old. <laughs> I was in grade five, a grade five, a revenge of the Sith came out. And, um, you know, I, I, I did shed a tear, like when, when the movie, uh, started and, and when it ended and it was just a very emotional, uh, moment for me back then. And, and many years later, I just haven't felt the same way about this movie, but, um, again, like, you know, I'm going to save that for the end. Um, I thought that this, this scene was very, uh, was very emotional. Um, it didn't connect with me as much as it does with other people, but, um, uh, I, I think it was the best decision to make is to bring Han Solo back. And, uh, this conversation between him and his son really 
was was so well paralleled with what JJ had done in The Force Awakens. And, and I do want to commend him for that. That was really cool. <clears throat> uh, it's something that we haven't had a lot in the sequel trilogy is the parallels uh, compared to the parallels that we've had in the other two trilogies done by George Lucas. Um, that's that's a, one of the coolest parts about Star Wars is seeing the connections between you know the beginning and last parts of, of a trilogy and then the middle being the bridge. Um, you know, with the Phantom Menace, we had the end of the film with a very particular song, uh, Qui-Gon's Funeral. And uh, by the end of Revenge of the Sith, we had the same song on the same planet of Naboo uh, with another very important figure in Anakin's life on the the death the deathbed on on uh, you know having a funeral, which was his wife Padme. So, you know. Uh, Anakin in the Phantom Menace, he says, well, what will happen to me now? And then Obi-Wan, you know, recites the promise that he made Qui-Gon as they're there at the funeral, mind you, uh, and says, uh, you know, I've, the council's granted me permission to train you. Uh, you will be a Jedi, I promise you. And um, we see this amazing parallel of, of him becoming Darth Vader to the same song that, uh, you know, that, that Qui-Gon gave his life and, you know, died for um, fighting off the Sith and uh, just a really cool parallel. Like as, you know, you see Padme dead and uh, the birth of uh, their children and the creation of Vader. They're both lying on tables as this this whole thing is being done to the same music that, uh, that was played at Qui-Gon's funeral. So it, it is a really cool parallel to see between the two movies. And, and I thought that this conversation between Han and Ben was also just as reminiscent of that. Um, with the, with the dialogue lining up so well. So, so that was, that was kind of cool as well. Um, there was, uh, there was a scene that was played for, uh, cause Ray after this moment runs off, uh, to Exegol and she's basically doing what Luke did. Uh, she's giving up. Uh, she even says as much. And, uh, you know, when Luke's force ghost shows up on, on Acto, and uh, she's crashed Kylo Ren's ship there because she steals it and, uh, you know, flies there to Exegol. And, um, you know, she, she she's mad. She's angry. And um, she takes the Skywalker saber and uh, she's ready to throw it away. And just like Luke once did. And, you know, fortunately, it landed on the cliff edge and Ray recovered it. But um, she's ready to just give up. You know, she's she's emotional about the fact that, you know, she just hurt Ben, someone that she does care about and uh, runs away and she's she's given up. She's just completely done with um, people not knowing who she is. She's done with uh, this vision of her ending up on the throne. She's fearful of it. She's fearful of facing the dark side and facing her uh, what she, what she might think of as a destiny it's what kylo ren's been taunting with her the, you know the whole time it's like it's her destiny and you know her purpose to take up uh the right hand of of uh the right side you know between the two of them ruling over the galaxy together and she's just so done she doesn't want to follow that path and it, it's admirable of her to to want to protect the galaxy from herself but uh, she gives up just like Luke once did. And Luke comes back and he says, hey, kid, I was wrong. Um, this is not the way to deal with something. You know, the destiny of a Jedi is to face fear. 
And, uh, and that's when, you know, he comes back and gives her the lightsaber again. And he reveals that uh, Leia would have wanted you to have something. At this point, Leia's what we know of, tr- um, you know, partially transcended into the force. So, you know, it makes me think, okay, maybe he's, she's communicated with Luke in the netherworld of the force. And <clears throat> Luke points uh, towards, uh, you know, his hut where we see Ray digging through uh, a stone and finds Leia's, find, uh, finds Leia's old lightsaber that Luke has stashed away in his place there, which uh, we're, we're led to believe has been there this whole time. And uh, the lightsaber looked really cool. But, you know, the highlight for me, one of the highlights out of this whole movie was seeing CGI Luke and Leia as they were younger training with their lightsabers on uh, some forest, uh, some forest planet somewhere. And uh, it was so cool, man. Like Luke, Mark Hamill, he he looked perfect. Um, The Carrie Fisher, Leia looked, uh, you know, it looked amazing. And, uh, you know, it was just, um, it was so gratifying to find out that Leia did, in fact, learn the ways of the Force. She did, in fact, train as a Jedi until the point where she was able to best her brother in a match and uh, then gives up her Jedi future uh, because she fears that, you know, her son will die if she continues on that path. And uh, then, you know, we were led to believe that she just continues her life on with that knowledge, but, you know, continues on as a first first senator. Uh, well, as, and as her life as a senator becomes before she comes first senator in the, the bloodline book. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a really well-deserved, well-needed explanation and, um, you know, a great addition to the sequels and, and to this, uh, this storyline. Um, I thought it's a bit, I'm a bit of a mixed bag on this one, (coughs) but I thought the, uh, the whole Palpatine reveal that he was, um, just to backtrack a little bit, um, that he was the voice inside Kylo Ren's head this whole time. I get it. I mean, like, you know, I'm aware of the fact that Palpatine was kind of, um, kind of stitched into the movie uh later on in the script uh when after they did the rewrites uh, when Colin Trevorrow exited the project so it's a bit of a retroactive uh thing to do but uh you know given that uh, it's been done you know I'm just trying to accept it and uh yeah but uh I thought it was interesting that uh he's revealed himself to be the creator of Snoke and the voice of Snoke kind of um almost using Snoke as a puppet and uh, using Darth Vader's recovered helmet as as a puppet as well. Uh, you know, Kylo Ren has been led to believe over the last uh, year and, and a bit uh, that um, this Vader helmet has been speaking to him through the Force on behalf of Darth Vader. And now we, we you know, we never got the, the, the audio dialogue in The Force Awakens, but uh, we're now supposed to believe that uh, this has been um, Sheev Palpatine the entire time. And, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was an interesting story choice. Uh, I think with time, I'm going to grow to appreciate it. Well, I'm going to grow to accept it a, a little more. And um, yeah, that, that was something. 
Um, I I did I did uh, like the general pride character. Although I I do I'm a bit of a mixed bag on this one too. I feel like it was a missed opportunity for an appearance uh, by Thrawn. Uh, now, if you're not familiar with Star Wars Rebels or um, the Thrawn book series, uh, Thrawn's entire purpose within the Empire, uh, and the reason, part of the reason why he even exists within the Empire, because the Empire is a very xenophobic uh, government. They, they don't have aliens working within the government. Um, and, and Thrawn's entire uh, purpose within the Empire was to collaborate with Palpatine uh, and to give him astrogation astrogational knowledge about the unknown regions and about uncharted space. Now, we're also led to believe that this is um, evidence for some of the um, observatories, the observatories that that Emperor Palpatine had placed um, trailing out into the unknown regions, one of them being on Jakku, that one also being the one that would uh, be responsible for blowing up the planet, um, but uh, that whole plan ended up failing. And uh, aside from the aftermath books, we haven't really seen that observatory uh, again. Uh, we got a second observatory showing up, though, in the Battlefront Two campaign. It's also the observatory where Luke finds the Jedi compass, which I believe was found on uh, Pilio. Um, Luke Skywalker went there. Uh, and, and if you've read the Shattered Empire book, again, like, you know, if you've been following those adventures of Luke Skywalker after Return of the Jedi as a Jedi, uh, he did do his own kind of exploration of the Force and, you know, eventually his lead up to um, training the new generation of Jedi and, and then seeking out the first Jedi Temple. But uh, this this compass that he recovered from uh, Emperor Palpatine's observatory on Pilio uh, was, uh, you know, it's it's compass. And rather than leave it there, and uh, you know, he ran into a character called Del Mico who intended to destroy the observatory, who he ended up reluctantly letting him keep the compass because uh, Luke had just saved his life. And uh, I'm not entirely clear at, at what uh, this compass was supposed to do, um, but apparently it was attuned to hyperspace vectors or something. Um it has a substance in it called superluminite or something like that. And um, yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's in the Last Jedi Visual Dictionary. <coughs> I believe it might be in the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary and a little more might be revealed about it there. So, you know, if you got anything for me, please shoot it my way again. Uh, send us a tweet or an email. Uh, <coughs> but uh, these observatories were set up across the galaxy. And, uh, you know, in part, a large part of that was due to Thrawn's knowledge. Um, and uh, that's, you know, he um, he disappears at the end of Star Wars Rebels. And uh, all we know is that he and Ezra Bridger were shot out in hyperspace to the beyond, to the unknown regions. We have no idea what happened to them. And Dave Filoni has yet to uh, make a follow-up animated series about, you know, Ahsoka and Sabine Wren um, searching for Ezra Bridger and uh, Thrawn and, you know, such and such. Uh, but um, in The Rise of Skywalker, we did get Ahsoka's voice and uh, Anakin's voice and, you know, all these Jedi of the past uh, 
showing up, <clears throat> empowering Ray at the very end before she makes her final stand. So we're led to believe, I guess, I guess Ahsoka is dead at this point, but, uh, you know, otherwise she would be in her uh, around her seventies or something like that, um, about at, at this point in time. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I felt like the, the general pride character was cool. Um, but it would have been a really cool opportunity to have Thrawn in that place. Uh, it would, it would have been a nice placeholder for that character. And, um, you know, if JJ wasn't at the helm of this movie, um, you know, obviously things might've been a little differently and, and it's possible that general pride's character, uh, could have been thrown in an early draft or something. I don't really know because, uh, he has a few lines where he says, uh, to Palpatine that he will serve him as he did in the old wars. And, you know, essentially he's supposed to be made out to be this character who is probably one of the last original people in charge of the of I guess the first order uh one of the moths or one of the you know one of the big shots uh that was in fact previously working for the empire and a, a lot of the people working for the first order are, are not that old like they're they're in their 30s maybe in their 40s uh maybe even in their late 20s uh, I know that in uh, if you've read Resistance Reborn, we've even had employees as young as 15 working for the First Order. Uh, and uh, of course, they're also known for kidnapping children uh, and turning them into stormtroopers. So, you know, it's uh, it, he's a, he's an interesting character in regards to how long he's been doing what he's been doing. And uh, for uh, specifically for the the all the Imperial uh, factions that have come into play. Uh, but, uh, you know, it would have if we had the time, I'm sure it would have been cool to have Thrawn as a character there. I'm not complaining. Uh, I'm just saying general pride, uh, interesting character. And, uh, you know, if we ever got more depth about him, it would be it would be it would be nice. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it would have been cool to see Thrawn in in this film, uh, given the fact that pride felt very similar to a character like him. But um yeah. Uh, what else? I mean, <clears throat> I got to say, uh, the return of Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker as a as a voiceover was cool. I really wanted to see him in the movie. Um, it's it's been talked about that they may or may not have filmed footage of uh, these these uh, these uh, old actors that have come back to reprise the role. Uh, but you know, um, what can I say? I mean, we got the final cut that we got. And, uh, if that was cut from the movie, that's a real crying shame, but, uh, it, it was, it was nice. And I believe it's, it's been well-deserved that this, this, you know, should have probably even shown up before. I know Ray has no connection to Anakin whatsoever. Uh, but you know, Ben Solo does, it would have been nice to have a little connection between them, but at some point throughout the last two films, but you know, uh, here we are in the third movie, finally getting it. I'm not complaining. Um, I'm just happy that uh, that he made it into the movie, even if that's a, at least a voiceover. I'm thankful that they brought him back. <clears throat> so uh, that also solidifies uh, the young Anakin Skywalker within the canon of things uh, with uh, as far as immortality after death goes. Um, you know, long live Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. So, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I liked it. It was cool. 
Um, wish we got a little more, but you know, that's just a wish. So, uh, what else? Um, there was, uh, there was a very large following of Sith acolytes. Now the Sith acolytes are something we also got that kind of came out of, uh, the aftermath books. And, um, I got to say, if, if this is the same group of people that like, we never saw their faces. I don't know if they're aliens under there or humans, but, uh, we, there was, I want to say thousands of them in, uh, the arena where this, uh, ceremonial, uh, event is supposed to take place of, uh, the passing of, of, uh, emperor from Palpatine to, uh, Ray and, um, yeah, it, it was interesting to see that a lot of them had shown up for this uh, festivity. <laughs> I I don't know where they come from uh, or where they live or what they do all day. But um, if they are the same, uh, what we now know as this large following of Palpatine and the Sith, if they are the same group that we, we were introduced to in the Aftermath books as uh, the Acolytes of the Beyond, then uh, I'm down. I'm a fan. Um I'm a little confused at, you know, I I guess being Palpatine, I'm sure he foresaw the whole, you know, Ray coming to Exegol and whatnot. Again, I'm just filling this with my conclusions to things. Um, but uh, if they are the Acolytes of the Beyond, then um, I commend Story Group for suggesting their existence within the context of this film. So um, I think uh, the last thing that I liked uh more or less was was the return to the Lars homestead and the force ghost um of Leia and Luke uh as we're all aware oh and of course all the I, I I enjoyed all the scenes that they wrote around the reused footage of Leia um can't uh, can't leave that out but um I enjoyed the the return of her um you know if they did use her face from another shot they comped it into that double stand in very well and uh, you know her the force ghost of of her and luke on on tatooine at the very end of the movie was was awesome and uh i gotta say dark ray was kind of cool i guess um you know uh it was uh, an interesting little piece of the movie that kind of um you know m- made it a little more varied a little more extreme and uh you know, felt a, felt a little more uh, out there. And, you know, that's what I like to see. I like to see a little more out there. Um, I don't like the the safe kind of feeling that they, they had in Force Awakens. And, um, you know, I appreciated this film for those reasons. Uh, that's also part of the reason why I like Last Jedi just a fraction more than uh, The Force Awakens is because it didn't bend over backwards on nostalgia, but it was um, a little more divisive. And they did things that we hadn't seen before. Um, oh, yeah. Another thing um, I did really like <coughs> was uh, I actually predicted this in uh, when I when I saw the Mandalorian episode more recently. But uh, Force Healing made its way into this movie. Uh, it's something we've had in Expanded Universe for many years. And it was cool to see that make an appearance in canon, um, just as we've had the return of Thrawn and uh, many other things. Um, not only have they canonized that, but in the visual dictionary, I believe they've also canonized uh, or recanonized Darth Revan um, as one of the Sith Trooper legions are named after Revan. Now, I know this isn't within the movie, but but I just wanted to 
throw it out there. It's like, that's, you know, it's kind of cool. But um, I really liked the uh, forced dyad talk that they had going on. Um, that was something that was uh, built on top of The Last Jedi and the bond that exists between Rey and Ben Solo. Really cool to see more exploration into that. I thought I was worried that we would actually kind of have that fizzle out in this movie, but it's it's so hard to ignore when the whole Last Jedi kind of evolved around that link. And, you know, it was it was cool to see that expanded upon and given a name that this is uh, it's now officially known as a force dyad. And um, if you look up force dyad, which uh, I'll do right now, I'll, let's look up force dyad. Um, it says on the Wikipedia that a force dyad was a phenomenon describing two force uh, sensitive beings who collectively shared the power of one individual, connecting them across space and time. Uh, Ray Skywalker and Ben Solo, who shared a force bond, formed a force dyad during the New Republic era, during which time it had been the first seen in generations. As Kylo Ren, Ben revealed to Ray that they were a dyad in the force during her mission on Kajimi with Finn and Poe Dameron. <clears throat> this is uh, 35 years after the Battle of Yavin. So um, it was uh, when Ray and Ben uh, came together to fight Darth Sidious, it goes on, uh, during the battle at Exegol, the Sith Lord grabbed the two using the force and inadvertently drew some of their life force. Learning that they were a dyad in the process, despite Ben's attempts to hide it from him, Sidious then proceeded to exploit this by siphoning their powerful connection, rejuvenating himself while weakening the pair. Uh, records of a forced diet exist in the form of an incantation written out in the Sith Old Tongue by the Sith Eternal Cultists, uh, denoting the specific nature of the phenomena. Uh, the text is near identical to the Sith Doctrine, the Rule of Two, but inflection, marks, and line breaks change specific meaning in certain words. Uh, yeah, so um, appearances, uh, The Force Awakens had its first appearance, apparently, uh, although I am struggling to recall where. Uh, the Last Jedi was where we really see it play out. And then the, the Rise of Skywalker first identified it as uh, the name. If you have the visual dictionary, uh, I'm sure you can grab a little more information on that. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, the life force uh, makes its return in terms of the terms I was talking about earlier on. Life force uh, is a thing now and it exists um, as part of the bond uh, as a result of a force dyad. So it's a power like life itself and Palpatine being able to siphon that power. Um, I thought all that stuff was really cool. I thought all that stuff was really out there. And, you know, I can think I have my suspicions that Chris Terrio was probably behind that. Um He's uh, he seems to me the more kind of out there thinker when it comes to uh, the two writers on this film between JJ and Chris Terrio. Uh, I think Chris Terrio deserves this credit. Now, I'm not I'm just jumping to conclusions here, but um, it doesn't sound or look like anything that JJ would have come up with. 
So yeah, it was it was cool. I I like that. I like the whole forced dyad thing. I think that's really interesting. Um, I also I think this is the last thing I'm gonna just say that I liked. Uh, I feel like I've kept this list pretty long, long enough to you know call it a non-negative review. But um, I like the fact that they were hinting at the fact that uh, Finn is force sensitive through the whole movie. Uh, it's a lot. It's it's something that a lot of people um, did, in fact. Uh, buzz about uh, before the movie had come out they saw Finn with the lightsaber it's uh it's apparent in many of the books leading into the force awakens that Finn was one of the best fighters in the first order um he was very gifted with uh those um those batons uh the riot batons or or whatever they're they're called I'm blanking on it now um I believe it was Before the Awakening. There was a junior novel written called Before the Awakening. Um, that novel was uh, split into three sections, one about Rey, one about Finn, one about Poe. Um, and uh, Finn, it's it's evident that he's very gifted, very a very gifted fighter, and uh, therefore is supposed to be the explanation for how he can handle a lightsaber so well later on in The Force Awakens against uh, the injured kylo ren um it also explains uh a lot to do with his duel in the last jedi with captain phasma captain phasma is now if you've read if you've read phasma um they make her out to be this tremendously amazing warrior uh it's not something i think resonates with the movie but um you know, they do make it very apparent as well that she's become this clunky, robotic kind of cog in this massive machine, which is the First Order. And, um, you know, the uh, the greed of of um, all the technology that she's exposed to being a native from a planet that has nothing, uh, you know, it really soaks her in and uh, it changes her. And, it, you know, if, if you've never read that book before, it is an amazing book. I, I had absolutely you know low expectations going into the book uh having not cared about captain phasma at all after i saw the force awakens and uh i i was very pleasantly surprised uh i gotta commend i think it was delilah s dawson that wrote that book and you know i thought it was fantastic so uh yeah give it a read it's it's a it's a good read um so yeah uh finn is a force sensitive that was cool. I like that. Um, and JJ, I believe, revealed more recently that that is the thing that he was uh, trying to tell Ray throughout the film is uh, not his feelings towards her, but uh, that the that he is uh, force sensitive. So uh, that is that is cool. I do like that. And, um, you know, again, about the exclusivity of uh, using the force. Uh, I think this has been hinted at enough throughout the whole, you know, the whole uh, sequel era through the books and the comics and the the films now that we've had um, that Finn is an extraordinary fighter compared to a lot of other people and um, that he is, in fact, probably uh, a force user. As far as Poe goes, uh, if you've read Shattered Empire, um, you know, you can see a bit of his origins there and, uh, I, you know, need I... Uh, say more uh, with the the whole ordeal of the the force tree and everything that he's uh, been raised under and uh, you know I can't help but think that you know he might not be a force user but I, I have a feeling that um, his uh, connection to the force is a little more amplified 
through those midi chlorines in his bloodstream. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's also kind of interesting. But anyways, um, I believe that's it. I believe that's all the things that I liked about the movie. Um, I know that they did a lot of uh, fan servicing with the whole Raylo thing. Honestly, I, I've never really it's not bothered me, and uh, I thought it I thought it was nice. Uh, I've never been wanting it. I've never been not wanting it. So I'm I'm quite neutral on that fact on that front. Um, I've actually kind of been rooting for a trilogy that doesn't have nearly as much romance as the other two have. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that uh, it's all been kept pretty light. So that's, you know, it's been nice. It's been nice. I, I think I think that kiss was uh, between Ray and Ben was was not out of place. And I really appreciated that. So uh, now I'm going to move on to things that I didn't like about the movie. Uh, overall, again, I want to rate this like a solid six out of 10 in, in it. I just want to say first off, like within the context of the trilogy, this, this movie might seem like it works really well, but there was a lot of things that stuck out to me that just don't work, um, in regards to following up the other films. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just start off with the most blatant, obvious one that I think I saw in the movie that a lot of people didn't catch. Um, was when Ben Solo, when he's stranded on the Endor system, um, when Ray steals his ship, uh, we're led to assume that he takes a Imperial class TIE fighter from the wreckage of the Death Star and flies to Exegol with it. Um, not only does he not have a Wayfinder device to make it there, because uh, similar to <coughs> astrogational coordinates for charting a path through that nebula that he has to fly through to get to Exegol. Not everyone, you know, uh, there's a very specific path, I guess, that you have to take to navigate through it. Um, but uh, that aside, even if he is kind of force attuned enough to fly extremely well and make it through, um, he doesn't have a hyperdrive. And uh, TIE fighters of the Imperial era uh, do not have hyperdrives. Uh, this was a decision that was made on JJ's part for nostalgia to have the shot of the X-Wing next to the TIE fighter. And it was totally uncalled for. I, I did not like that at all. I, I, I hated it. I, I just absolutely hated it. Um, it was a very typical JJ thing to do. And, um, yeah, Tie fighters don't have hyperdrives. This has been a this has been going on since 1977, when Ben Kenobi says in the Millennium Falcon that you know they see a tie fighter flying around and he says no, it's a it's a it's a short ranged fighter, you know. And then Luke goes on to say, oh, it must have been maybe it gotten lost, you know, it must have been part of a convoy or something. And then and then they realize that it's going to that moon, which ends up being the Death Star. It's always been a part of canon. It's always been a part of Star Wars that TIE fighters don't have hyperdrives. Uh, First Order TIE fighters do. First Order TIE fighters do have hyperdrives. It's a part of the whole new technology. First Order TIE fighters also have shields. Um, Imperial TIE fighters don't have shields and they don't have hyperdrives. It's like, it's it's a simple rule. And JJ broke that rule. I feel like 
if you're going to make a film within a saga of a cohesive story universe like this, you have to stay true to the in-universe rules. Um, you know, I, I don't see I, a Tony Stark turning into the Hulk anytime soon. You know, let's not all of a sudden start putting hyperdrives in TIE Fighters, please. So, yeah, that was that was one thing that stuck out to me as a big no-no. And um, it's it's going to be hard to forgive. I think they're going to story group is going to have to patch up this hole with uh, a story, you know, about uh, a prototype TIE fighter now uh, and, you know, basically retroactively fix that choice uh, within the film. And until we get that, I'm going to have a problem. So, um, you know, whatever. Um, I had a big issue with Palpatine's return. Now, I know that this is the entire hook for the movie. And I think that's why is because it was used as a hook for the movie because Colin Trevorrow left because they couldn't figure out how to end the series. Um, it was kind of a, a retroactive thing to say, hey, uh, the only way to end this is to bring back the only good bad guy that people actually like or want to see. And, and that is Palpatine. He's the guy that's been working behind the scenes for the last six movies. And let's, heck, let's let's just make him the guy that's been working behind the scenes in this trilogy as well. So uh, I feel like the choice in the expanded universe was also a poor decision. I'm not on board with that either. Uh, with the whole Palpatine cloning uh, plot that they had going on there, it, it was just kind of, eh. I mean, if you've ever read the Dark Empire series, it's, it's just... I've never been on board with it. It's always kind of uh, demoted the entire sacrifice that Anakin makes as the chosen one. And it is very clear that Anakin has been the chosen one for a very long time. And, you know, whether we get it in the original trilogy or not, it's, I mean, even if it is a retroactive decision on George Lucas's part to throw that little tidbit in there in the prequels to say that Anakin is the chosen one, um, it didn't it's it's not like it changes the outcome of of the film i mean it do, it doesn't change the fact that vader still was redeemed by luke skywalker and ends up destroying the sith therefore balancing the force balancing the force doesn't mean eradicating the dark side balancing the force just means balancing the force it, it you know it never prophesized destroying the Sith or destroying the dark side or whatever, balancing the force is just balancing the force. Now you can do some research into balancing the force, but um, I do want to read off the entire prophecy of the chosen one, just so you have a little bit, a bit of a better idea on like what the chosen one is supposed to do. So uh, let me try and find it here. All right. Um, I'm uh, actually, I'm first going to read this one. Uh, from page 41 in uh, Master and Apprentice. This is a book uh, written by Claudia Gray, excellent author in uh, the new Star Wars canon who's uh, consistently uh, proven herself to write extremely good Star Wars books. So <clears throat> page 41, I'll just read it in context so you can kind of get it. Um, later that evening in Qui-Gon's quarters, Obi-Wan dared to say, so far as I can tell, Master, the prophecy seemed extremely vague. Qui-Gon looked up from the records Obi-Wan had brought him. His long grayish-brown hair fell loose down his back, a sign that he intended to go to sleep soon. But he had never failed to respond to Obi-Wan's curiosity. You've learned old Alderanian? Not exactly, but I've picked up enough to make sense of what I'm collecting. 
Obi-Wan tugged nervously at his Padawan braid, then stopped as he caught himself at it. It was a bad habit he hoped to break. One of these prophecies says something about she who will be born to darkness will give birth to darkness. It gives no hint at all as to who that is, or what kind of darkness this is, or when will ha- when it will happen. Um, it goes on about another prophecy that's ended up being uh, fulfilled in the book. That prophecy is uh, when the Kyber that is not Kyber shines forth, the time of prophecy will be at hand. Um, it's fulfilled in the book when Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon come across a crystal that's very similar to Kyber in structure, but not actually Kyber. Um, it's in the book's climax and Obi-Wan's crystal is switched for the faux Kyber. Um, and it still creates a weak lightsaber blade, but it's, uh, it, uh, it references the, thus the not Kyber shines forth. And, um, the events of the book are about a year after Anakin is possibly born and also a year after, uh, Dooku leaves the order. Uh, the Jedi Order. So, uh, but the first one that I really want to kind of narrow in on here is uh, the she who will be born to darkness will give birth to darkness. Uh, this is uh, obviously talking about uh, Leia. Uh, Leia born just after her father Anakin becomes Darth Vader. Uh, she would uh, basically just go on to have Ben Solo, who eventually becomes Kylo Ren. So <clears throat> uh, within the Disney canon, you know, it is hinted at the fact that uh, this has been a prophecy foretold that um, or it's, I guess, you know, pre-establishing the fact that, uh, Kylo Ren will be a part of the story, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. It's kind of a nice thing that, you know, this book came out this year and, um, it's nice that they are foreshadowing his coming, uh, uh, whether, uh, you know, because there are multiple prophecies. So, uh, it is, it is very nice that that is, uh, made apparent. So um, let's jump to another prophecy here. <clears throat> uh, page 133. Um, this really gets to the uh, core of what I want to talk about in regards to the chosen one. Um, so I'm on page 133. I'm going to, I'm going to read the, this little, little piece here in context. Um, if you don't know who rail is, rail is um, Dooku's first Jedi apprentice and he's talking with Qui-Gon here uh, about uh, prophecies. So with a grin, Rail rose from the sofa and motioned for Qui-Gon to follow. Let me show you some history worth studying. Several minutes later, Qui-Gon sat next to Rail in the Jedi archives, looking at the one and only holocron that had ever interested him, the one that held the ancient prophecies. Some were majestic, some were mysterious, a few seemed laughable, but they were all fascinating. Qui-Gon kept reading, unable to stop. Only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the Order cleanse the sin done to the Nameless. The danger of the past is not past, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the the galaxy entire. When the Force itself sickens, past and future must split and combine. A chosen one shall come born of no father and through him will ultimate balance in the force be restored the ancient mystics had these visions in trances Qui-Gon asked Rail nodded he sat on the opposite side of the long table going through holocron archives as rapidly as Qui-Gon himself 
I don't even want to know what kind of spice they were smoking. <laughs> Qui-Gon wondered whether or how he might be able to learn more about that. That was something to worry about later. Right now, his head buzzed with all the prophecy he'd read, all the possibilities of the future they hinted at. The entire universe seemed to have grown larger in an instant, full of incredible possibilities. But should he trust it? Dooku said I shouldn't pay attention to this holocron. Qui-Gon said, he doesn't believe in the prophecies. Since when? Rail's confusion was totally sincere. He's the one who turned me onto it. Used to be. You could hardly pry this holocron out of his quarters. I don't know when or why. He didn't explain. I'm going to have to ask him about that, Rail said. If that changed, wow. Then a lot's changed about Dooku. Don't ask him yet, Qui-Gon protested. When Rail looked at him in surprise, he shrugged. Not until I finished my report, anyway. Rail laughed so loud that Jocasta knew gave him a stern look. So the first part, um, actually, first I want to plug Claudia Gray, uh, Master and Apprentice, awesome book. So give it a read. It's awesome. Um, only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the Order cleanse the sin done to the nameless. So um, this could be in reference to uh, the Jedi uh, and maybe the clones, the nameless, uh, the clones that are given uh, numbers, not names. Uh, I, I don't really know. Um, it could also reference how the Jedi operate. I mean, at this point in time, they are operating within the context of their own code and um, in a way, in a creepy way, the way that the First Order raises their stormtroopers is very similar to the way that the Jedi raise their younglings. They they take them from an infancy age, and um, you know basically, I mean they do have names, but um, it's it's interesting that um, that that parallel is there. Um, so I just wanted to I just wanted to um, throw that out there. But um, it also could be referencing to the First Order stormtroopers because those they they don't have names either. Um, next part is, uh, the danger of the past is not the past, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the entire galaxy. Uh, this could be talking about, uh, either of the death stars, um, uh, or, uh, the re return of, of Palpatine in, in the rise of Skywalker. And, um, in, uh, aftermath, I want to read an, a little expert from excerpt from aftermath as well. This is written by Chuck Wendig. Uh, Empire's End Aftermath is the third book in the trilogy. So, before Palpatine's demise at the hands of the rebels, the computers finished their calculations, finally finding a way through the unknown. The Emperor was convinced that something waited for him out there, some origin of the Force, some dark presence formed of malevolent substance. He said he could feel the waves of it radiating out. Now that the way was clear, the Emperor called it a signal, conveniently, one that only he could hear. Even his greatest enforcer, Vader, seemed oblivious to it. And Vader also claimed mastery over the Dark Force. Did he not? Rex believed Palpatine had gone mad. What he was receiving was nothing more than his own precious wishes broadcast back to himself in an echo of his own devising. He believed that something lay beyond. And so that became a singular obsession. When you believe in magic, 
it is easy to see all the universe as evidence of it. Um, so maybe the prophecy refers to a threat that will be that that was introduced in the rise of Skywalker, possibly um, the star destroyers breaking out of the surface of of that ice or um, the ground or uh, whatever it was. So maybe uh, when the egg cracks um, or the dangers of the past is not past. So the dangers of the past being, you know, the empire is not past, uh, but sleeps in an egg inside the shell of this this planet and when the egg cracks it will threaten the entire galaxy so when these star destroyers rise up these star destroyers of imperial era mind you rise up uh the threat uh, of the galaxy you know it, it's gonna it's gonna be galactic wide you know, this threat which is very evident that this is referencing uh, rise of skywalker uh next line is when the force itself sickens past and future must split and combine so the force you know, it's saying that the force is going to be sick. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's it's very possible that this is in reference to the imbalance uh, that has been re-brought upon the galaxy. Uh, you know, I it's um, something I have a minor problem with, which I'm going to talk about shortly after this, but... Um, it's yeah, very likely talking about the fact that with Palpatine's return, um, the dark side grows in strength and past and future must split and combine. Um, this might refer to the past Jedi that uh, basically start encouraging Rey in her final stand and you know become instrumental in in, uh, helping her cure the force and bringing bringing balance again, uh, and a chosen one shall come, born of no father, and through him will ultimate balance in the force be restored. So now this is where we get a little. It's 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 strange, because this is now talking about uh, a male. Through him will ultimate balance be restored. Um, so now, Anakin is it's is the is the chosen one. Uh, it's the first version of the chosen one prophecy that we've seen. Uh, you know, the wording of the prophecy is notable, uh, and it's ra- rather than out sta- outright stating that the chosen one will restore balance uh, as it's framed in the prequels. It states that it'll happen through him. So, um, you know, since Anakin has children and and then grandchildren, you know, it is. You might you might think that it is possibly referring to uh, the Skywalker family as a whole restoring balance. I guess um, this is a bit unclear, but uh, what 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 makes it more unclear, and this is like one of the main things that I had a problem with, um, is that there is that line from Anakin Skywalker that he says that uh, he says to Ray, uh, "The Force surrounds you, Ray. Um, you know, bring." bring back balance to the force as I once did. And that essentially confirms the fact that Anakin is the chosen one. Uh, I do also want to play this little clip. Uh, so listen very closely. Uh, this is George Lucas talking about uh, the chosen one. You got to remember this is one movie and it's meant to be seen one through six. So I think when you watch the actual movie in order, the story will become very clear that Anakin is the chosen one. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. You believe it's this boy? 
And even when Anakin turns into Darth Vader, he is still the chosen one. The prophecy is that Anakin will bring balance to the Force and destroy the Sith. He becomes Darth Vader. Darth Vader does become the hero. Darth Vader does destroy the Sith, meaning himself and the Emperor. He does it because he is redeemed by his son. So, you have accepted the truth. I've accepted the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. That name no longer has any meaning for me. It is the name of your true self you've only forgotten. I know there is good in you. So the prophecy is true. And by doing that, he redeems himself and goes from being Darth Vader back to being Anakin again. You were right about me. Tell your sister. You were right. Everybody thought of Darth Vader as this big evil guy that you know, had no heart, he was just evil. Um, but in the end, it's not that at all. And it, I mean, here's a guy who has lost everything. I mean, he believes that he's the chosen one. He's not doing wrong things knowing that it's having a negative impact. So there is there is that sort of naivety to him uh, now that, that wasn't there before. And it makes him more human in a lot of ways. So um, George here on record says uh, basically confirms that, you know, Anakin has always been intended to be the chosen one, you know, you know by um, and here it's interesting that he says specifically bring back balance to the force by destroying the Sith, similar to what Ray now does in uh, the Rise of Skywalker. The main problem that I have here is that this prophecy has been foretold for so long and uh, it's a, it's confirmed in the Rise of Skywalker that Anakin is the chosen one because he says, "Bring back balance to the Force, Ray," as I once did. Um, Ray is not a descendant of Anakin, so it means that she's not connected to the Skywalker family um, as as of yet, at least uh, until she takes the name. But um, there's there's no relevance there. Uh, there's no connection between Anakin and Ray whatsoever, other than the fact that her granddaddy is the old master of uh now long dead anakin skywalker slash darth vader so um the main problem i have i guess is uh why why this prophecy for you know i guess a thousand years or more um and 30 years after the force is balanced it needs to be rebalanced uh, why 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 this whole this whole build-up for the finale and the conclusion of the of the chosen one when now you know even though it's been established many times over that Anakin is the chosen one why now are we getting a story that's tacked on to the end that you know has this girl from nowhere who ends up not being from nowhere uh uh re having to rebalance the force once again because uh what the the first time round didn't work good enough like you know it, it's uh this is the part that really drives me up the wall is is that this whole thing is kind of so retroactively placed on you know the saga that it's like hey there's this massive build up to the prophecy being fulfilled by Anakin Skywalker and you know 
We've had confirmation through George Lucas. We've had confirmation through the Clone Wars. We've had confirmation through uh, through many books and comics. And uh, we're talking about stuff that's been published by Disney as well. I mean, this has been a, a lead up for many years. Like, there's no going back on that. This one movie can't retcon all of that content, especially within the Disney canon era. And, um, you know, I, I just, nobody in their right mind should accept that. Uh, now, trying to work around that problem, um, the only conclusion that I can think of is, okay, the force is now, you know, the force has now been sickened and needs to be rebalanced again. So I guess this prophecy has to happen two times over or something. I mean, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. This is it. it this whole thing has just thrown it completely, um, you know, out of, uh, out of, uh, what I thought might happen, uh, what a lot of people thought might happen. And, um, you know, it's part of the reason why a lot of people think we're angry with, uh, last Jedi is that it gave them something they weren't expecting. And, um, the arguments there is that, uh, you know, even if it's a surprise that it doesn't make a good movie, uh, well, you know, I got news, um, <laughs> retconning a prophecy, uh, so that you can all of a sudden make your own prophecy, uh, doesn't make a good movie either. Um, this is a very poor decision to essentially having to rebalance the force again, I, you know, but then again, this all spawns back to the whole initial, uh, return of Palpatine as well. So, um, you know, my problem with, uh, Ray, Having to reestablish balance and everything all has to do with Palpatine's return. Um, the uh, entire thing about Ray being a Palpatine, okay, also spawns back from the return of Palpatine. But I had an issue with her being a Palpatine because uh, I just—it honestly feels a bit like sacrilege taking this entire Skywalker saga and then handing it off to a Palpatine. Now, I know the sins of the father don't affect the, you know, the child, whatever the expression is there. But, um, you know, I did think it was cool that uh, that she does uh, defy um, the legacy of her last name only to take on uh, the Skywalker name in in uh, anyways. And, uh, you know, so I thought that was interesting, but I thought that the entire existence of her being a Palpatine, that's not nobody. And, you know, when JJ and Chris Terry were talking about this, about her lineage and stuff, they said like, you know, that they wouldn't, you know, that she's a nobody that, you know, that, and it's like, okay, well, she's not nobody if she's Palpatine. I mean, like that, that's not nobody, you know, the long lost heir to the empire being Empress Palpatine is not a nobody. Uh, so I had a problem with this. I had a problem with the fact that at some point in the past, um, Emperor Palpatine has, I guess, assumingly shagged some woman to have a child, a son who will then uh, escape his clutch and and you know go off and uh, have a child with some other woman, which ends up being Rey. That entire connection of being his granddaughter was just so out there. It's just so weird, and I felt so stapled on to the the whole saga, and you know, bring such disrespect to what's come before it. Um, I, I had a real big issue with that. Uh, but I think that's probably the biggest, biggest, the biggest issue that I've had with this whole movie is, is the, the whole Ray Palpatine situation. Um, <clears throat> uh, other than that though, you know, the rest of the movie, not bad, not bad. Um, 
the climactic part at the end was so underwhelming uh despite all the great ben solo moments um the the whole like her whipping out the second lightsaber and reflecting palpatine's lightning back in his face again duped by his own lightning again for the second time so underwhelming it's such a like terrible quick way to finish him off um and uh the fact that Every single Star Destroyer had super weapons on them. Again, planet-killing weapons for the fourth time. It's like, come on, JJ. I mean, switch things up. Like, let's go. I mean, we've had Starkiller Base. We've had two Death Stars now at this point. Like, I, we don't need 500 more planet-killing weapons. Um, I just I just thought that was so weak. Uh, such a weak way to uh, conclude this series. In a way, you might argue like, okay, yes, the only right way to finish it because this is the way it started. But at the same time, it's like it's something we've seen so many times. It's like I, I just want something new. Um, I think that's fair enough to say. So, you know, if you disagree, let me know. But it just it's it just seems so old at this point and um, so almost too typical of them to do. Um yeah, that's what I have to say on that. Uh, the last thing I think that I want to talk about here is um, because all this, you know, this is the whole negativity about thing. And I'm skipping over a few like minor things, but, you know, main things being, um, you know, the whole TIE fighter situation, uh, the whole Ray Palpatine and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't get it, man. Like, like the whole... Palpatine using lightning to kill her despite like he wants her to kill him so uh like okay maybe he wants her to kill him out of hate and not like the way of the Jedi in self-defense but if he's aware of the fact that this lightning is tearing apart his face why does he keep you know uh why does he keep doing it uh, he was duped by his lightning the first time around in Revenge of the Sith. And that moment when he does that, it's actually a little more relevant because not only is he putting the pressure on Anakin Skywalker because he's killing himself. And he says, I have the power to save the one you love. You must choose. And Mace Windu's defending himself, reflecting the lightning back in his face. Uh, Palpatine's lightning on, on Mace Windu because he doesn't have a lightsaber and it's the only way that he can prevent him from taking his head off. Um, Anakin has to make the the hard choice of choosing between killing this man that might be able to save his wife or um or uh you know taking off Mace's hand and and accepting the fact that Palpatine's gonna kill this guy. Um it's it's a it's a sporadic decision that he has to make and and one that I think given more time and thought he would probably make the right decision. Uh because we know Anakin. And he's not ready to kill Dooku. But this little birdie in his ear whispers, do it. You know, and, and he does it because, because he is pushed. Anakin is pushed. And, and just as he was pushed by his pain from before, he, it's the fear of loss. And that's something that Yoda tells him to train himself to let go of is the fear of losing the people that he's, that he's uh, attached to his attachments. Um, that's also a big reason for Ahsoka in the Clone Wars as well. Uh, you know, and, and Yoda mentions to Obi-Wan, he says, the greatest challenge for Anakin will be, you know, to let go of his apprentice when the time comes. 
And whether this is foreshadowing what happens to her or not, I mean, you know, obviously it's evident that we see that, you know, eventually when Ahsoka decides to leave the order, Anakin is just torn about it. You know, he misses her dearly and and um, doesn't want her to leave. And and uh, that for me was probably the most emotional part of that show. But um, I just I just didn't think that this whole lightning thing went over too well in this movie. It was just a very underwhelming climax. And um, I wish that it would have gone differently. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is the wills of the force. This has nothing to do with my like or dislike for the rise of Skywalker, really. But, um, seeing as we didn't get George's sequels, uh, I do want to talk about the wills very briefly because, um, it was brought up to me today by a friend that, um, George's sequels, uh, you know, that he pointed out that fans would have hated them. And uh, I'll just read that little clip here from the interview. I, I believe it was with James Cameron. Uh, it's called Inside James Cameron's Story of Science Fiction. You can look this up online. And uh, George Lucas says, um, uh, well, actually, let's start with what uh, James Cameron says. Um, there is an ecosystem inside us called the microbiome that they're just learning about now. George says, uh, the next three Star Wars films, you know, he's referencing those, we're going to get into a microbiotic world. But there's this world of creatures that operate differently than we do. I call them the wills. And the wills are the ones who actually control the universe. They feed off the force. James Cameron says, you are creating a religion, George. And George Lucas says, back in the day, I used to say, ultimately, what this means is we were just cars, vehicles for the wills to travel around in, or vessels for them. And the conduit is the midichlorians. The midichlorians are the ones that communicate with the wills. The wills, in a general sense, they are the force. And uh, and then uh, the interview continues on. Uh, James Cameron says, but you're putting detail and a facade of science around an idea that's pretty timeless, which is the spirit, the soul, heaven, uh, causation. But in your world building, you're going back to archetype, which is spirit, the Godhead, all that sort of thing. And George Lucas says, all the way back to with the force and the Jedi and everything. The whole concept of how things happen was laid out completely from the beginning to the end, but I never got to finish. I never got to tell people about it. So now he's talking about, um, <coughs> excuse me, about uh, the uh, you know him selling the company and and uh, someone else being J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson finishing that story and never actually telling the story about what he wanted to tell, which was uh, how the force even works and how um, how it how the, like, about it would have gone deeper. It would have gone into the light and the dark side of the force, the ancient order of the wills, uh, the shaman of the wills. Um, and and all that, all the story threads that have to do with uh, the, you know, the mysteries that surrounded the Jedi being immortalized in the Force and becoming part of the conduit of the Force. And uh, there was a, a Yoda arc uh, in the Clone Wars, which was great. We had appearances by the uh, the the priestesses of the Force, and um, it's never confirmed that they are the Wills, but. Uh, I think a lot of people like to think that they might be. Uh, the Wills were basically a community of beings who notably wrote the Journal of the Wills. Um, in canon, we've had 
um, you know, Rogue One kind of got into the Guardians, the Wills, and uh, uh, Chirrut Inwe was uh, a part of the Force worshipping monastic order. And uh, Jeddah played a very important sacred place. Uh, the Temple of the Kyber uh, was also known as the Temple of the Wills, and uh, that was his home there. So, um, you know, George Lucas has always had this this idea since the original Star Wars script. Like we're going back now to like the 70s, you know, when when George Lucas was writing Star Wars. This is like so if you are a fan of Star Wars Episode four, five and six and love those movies to death, uh, you know, this is the inspiration and the original draft of of like what would have been an explanation to you uh it's something that would have been explored in those sequel films that he would have done um so the original star wars draft was i believe called the journey uh journal of the wills uh um and then um uh the adventures of luke star killer or something so <coughs> excuse me um the sequels would have his sequels would have really gotten into the microbiotic world that is the wills. Now, I think people take the word microbiotic that 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 descriptor they take it very too literally. Uh, you can't take it literally because uh, it's going to sound absolutely terrible. It's going to sound very boring. Uh, but uh, if you enjoyed the arc with Yoda and the Clone Wars, um, getting to learn about the depths of immortality uh, through the guidance of Qui Gon Jinn and the priestesses of the Force. Um, I think, you know, this, this sequel trilogy would have been like amazing. It would have gotten into all the mysteries that, that we have. And, and there's two groups of people out there. There's two groups of fans. There's the fans that don't want to know answers to absolutely anything whatsoever. And then there's the fans that want to know answers like me. There, there's people that want to know more about the lore, uh, people that want to know more about the reasoning behind things and how, how things work. And, um, we just get really invested with uh, the story and the answers, and uh, it's fine to not know, want to know the answers. That's fine. Uh, that's that's a big part of um, why people just hated the prequel so much is because it provided too many answers for them. I get it. Um, part of my problem with the new movie is that it creates a lot of questions without answers. <clears throat> it creates. A lot of questions without the intent of giving answers either and and these are answers that we want uh these are answers that um that are i think are important to the narrative of the film and uh, i'm just going to play a little bit of an example for you here i've had this for ages kept it locked away Where'd you get that? A good question for another time. Take it. Find your friend. Those beasts, they're here. <laughs> so um, here's a this is a really good example of of JJ uh, creating um, a, a question that uh, we never got an answer to. Now, when George made questions that we don't fully have the answers, we still had a lot of the puzzle pieces. I mean, you know, when Luke asks Obi-Wan about his days in the Clone Wars, 
uh, Obi-Wan follows up with uh, pieces that George already had a backbone to. He already had the outline. And, and you know, he's able to to use that and fill it in. And even though Malis Kanata says, uh, you know, it's a story for another time, you know, she just she just shrugs it off. Like there's no uh, there's no hint that uh, she found it. There's no hint that somebody she knows found it like that. We get nothing out of this. And, you know, it, it's it's the same thing of what J.J. always has been doing. He's, he, he always has this this empty question. It's basically just a hole. A plot hole. I wouldn't call the moment where Luke and Ben are in the hut a plot hole. I would call that um, an interesting story hook, which, which uh, you know, you know, it 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 uh, it asks. We can ask questions about it, but it doesn't change the narrative of the story. Um, taking the previous six films and building on top of it, and having this lightsaber show up out of nowhere—that's been long lost for the last two films, or film and a half, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's a bit of a plot hole, unless you can explain how it came back. I mean, the last we saw it was it tumbling down to Kingdom Come. So, uh, you know, JJ answers, please, and and we just never got any. So, um, just to freshen up your memory, let me just play a little uh, clip here. No, my father didn't fight in the wars. He was a navigator on a spice freighter. That's what your uncle told you. He didn't hold with your father's ideals, thought he should have stayed here and not gotten involved. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. I wish I'd known him. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. And a cunning warrior. I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself. And he was a good friend. Which reminds me, I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. Sir, if you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. Sure, go ahead. What is it? Your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. How did my father die? A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Now the Jedi are all but extinct. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. The Force? Now the Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, it penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. So George eventually, um, I don't, I don't know exactly if he retroactively kind of made Darth Vader Luke's father or what, um, but you know, it's it's almost when you listen to this clip, uh, and if you watch. 
the way that Obi-Wan carefully describes how the Jedi fell, it, it's, it's a very sensitive subject. And um, it's a very sensitive thing for him to talk about Anakin Skywalker. Uh, but yeah, I, I, um, I, I think <clears throat> the main failure that happened through this whole entire sequel trilogy is that there was no unified vision. There was no there was no beginning middle end that was planned out the way that George had even if it was on a uh, on a yellow pad sheet of notes and and a couple sketches a couple notes that just kept it on track it's something at least it's something it's it's not what we got and and we, we got nothing like that we we had three films done by three and then two uh different people uh, with their own visions and their own voice and their own opinion and personal um story that they wanted to tell within the realm of star wars and there was no unification amongst that you know i respect the fact that they wanted to tell the story they wanted to tell you know george uh, george told the story he was telling and now that he sold it um we have jj and ryan johnston sharing the stories that they want to tell fine but i mean at least it's a it's a trilogy i mean let's let's at least you know, gather our senses and accept the fact that we need unification amongst this. We, we, we want this trilogy to not only be, you know, part of the saga, we don't want to feel like it's tacked on to the end, you know? And, you know, the prequels don't feel like they're tacked on to the beginning either. They're carefully woven to the beginning. And I would say that these sequels have not been carefully woven in to the end. Uh, it's been stapled on boom billion dollar bill money right there you know it's 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 all about the profits let's let's just get this ball rolling let's kick it off um in the charlie rose interview george says you know to do these movies right it would take me about 10 years and you know disney has not only pumped out the the sequel trilogy in in like six years five or six years but but they've put out uh two anthology movies and the disney plus series as well like I know this is a big company and they got a lot going on, but, and Lucasfilm as a whole is a very small company or used to be. But I mean, if you're to do these movies right, of which we've seen evidence that having these all bashed out the door just doesn't work. Um, and, and now they're, they're cluing into that, which is why we're going to be getting a bit of a hiatus. It's also why Solo was such a flop. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of evidence for all this. So that's also a big problem that I have is, is just the entire direction of the sequel trilogy, the whole planning phase, the entire execution phase, and, um, just the mess that it's been just an absolute mess. So, uh, there's my negativity part of this entire, uh, discussion. And uh, I don't really want to go on any more about it. I mean, I could rant on about it for a long time. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure you'll get little tidbits here and there going forward now that the movie's been released. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, you know, if you've made it this far in the episode, um, thank you so much. I know it's a little longer than normal. And uh, it might uh, be a little more or less on the impatient side of, of uh, listening to, um, you know, for two hours if uh, you have other things to do, but if you're on your way to work or you're at work or um, uh, doing your chores, whatever, uh, I appreciate you uh, listening uh, to this uh, far in the podcast. Uh, your opinion matters. 
your opinion matters. Uh, go see The Rise of Skywalker. Form your own opinion about this movie because this is all just the way I feel about it. Um, and uh, you need to make that choice for yourself. Very similar to how Ray makes the choice to be a Skywalker. So take my word for it. Go see episode nine. Thank you again for listening to Star Wars Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh. And, uh, you know, above all, like, go see this movie again. Like, just just go see it. Form your own opinion. If you haven't seen it and you've just been listening to reviews and breakdowns and, you know, just just go see it. Form your own opinion. Uh, this is your right as a Star Wars fan to just feel the way you feel about this movie. Uh, it was made for all the people who want to uh, enjoy it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as a fan, I will get by. I will get by. I'm disheartened with, with the entire direction of this trilogy. It's not just this movie. Uh, although I did feel it was the best of this trilogy by far. So, um, yeah, you know, time will time will tell. Time will tell. Uh, next next Friday, or I guess it's this Friday, uh, the 27th, we'll have episode 8, the finale, and the conclusion to season 1 of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Uh, look for a roundtable Friday or Saturday, whenever it drops. Uh, we'll be putting that out. And uh, that is on the 27th. So in the meantime, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And, uh, you know, spend some time with your family. And, uh, you know, I hope that, uh, you know, you, you got some great Star Wars toys for Christmas or maybe for other people. Uh, if something stuck out to you this episode, please shoot some feedback, uh, comments. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, SW Escape Podcast. Uh, that's our Twitter and the Escape Pod at Outlook.com. Please send us some voice memos, voice recordings. That's always welcome as well. I can play them and uh, break them down, answer any questions on the show as well. We'd be happy to hear from you. And uh, yeah, thanks again for listening. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Josh. Stay tuned for more episodes coming in the future. May the force be with you. Yeah.